Well, good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Wow, you guys don't seem very convinced. Still getting over Thanksgiving, probably. Uh, hundreds of years ago, a couple of hundred years ago, uh, up, in, up in Canada, in the North uh, West Territories, the, the First Nations, which uh, the Canadians call uh, their Native Americans, the First Nations, that, that some strange men showed up with some pieces of paper. And they sat down with the chief and elders of the Gitsan tribe. And they tried to explain to the Gitsan tribe that this piece of paper that the king had, had given them gives them uh, ownership of the land. And they went back and forth and they just really couldn't understand. And then finally through the translator, the chief of the Gitsan tribe looked at these uh, strange people with their piece of paper and said, if this is your land, then tell me the stories. If this is your land, tell me the stories. And the truth is that we all have stories. Probably those of us who spent Thanksgiving uh, with, with family, that we sat around and we told stories of our family. We didn't show up with a piece of paper. Nobody checked our IDs at the door. That, that we sat around and we told stories, some embarrassing, some funny, some about how we arrived, where we arrived. The same is true that uh, owner, uh, stories show ownership. They show that, that we are part of something. It shows that we're part of a family or part of a country or part of a church. Those of you who can tell stories about our local church, remember back when. We say that a lot around here. And stories of our faith. And I don't know about you, but every Christmas morning we get in our, well, we don't get in our PJs, we're in our PJs already. And we sit around the, the fire, and one of the kids read the Christmas story, or we tell the Christmas story. Because stories show ownership. And next week, we're going to be jumping into a series called Naughty and Nice, and we're going to be looking at some different characters of the story. But today... I want to reopen the story of Christmas about, about, this, about the season that we celebrate. In order for this to work, though, it's not my story, it's our story, that it's part of our faith. So I'm going to want your help in, in telling this story. So help me out. How do we start the Christmas story? You can just yell it out. What's an important part? Where do you start? 
Once upon a time, okay. <laughs> okay, once upon a time. All right, long, long ago. Okay. Right, Dave, help me out here. In the, in the city of Bethlehem. Did it start in Bethlehem? No, not really. Where did it start? Nazareth. It started in Nazareth. Okay, so Nazareth. In the city of Nazareth, or town, really, of, of, of Nazareth, what, what's going on? There's a, there's a census where we got an enthusiastic person back there. All right, there's a woman betrothed to Joseph. And then there, I heard somebody say there was a census, right? Okay, so what had to happen next? They had to go to their hometown. Whose hometown was Bethlehem? Joseph. All right, good. Now we're, now we're rolling. Don't show me your paper. Tell me the story, right? This is our faith. Okay, so Joseph and Mary go to Bethlehem. Okay, then what happens? Oh, before that, what happens before that? <laughs> Angel went to Mary and said you were going to have a baby. Okay, that's good. That's an important part. Yeah. yeah, it's not just Joseph and Mary that an angel came to Mary, who was a virgin. Okay, good. Okay, so here, let me, so everybody else can hear your, your rendition of the Christmas story. <laughs> Angel goes to Mary, says, you're going to have a baby. I'm a virgin. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Nothing's impossible with God, da-da-da, yada, yada, yada. You know by experience, right? But this, there's no yada, yada, yada here because there's no experience with this. And then Joseph's upset. And, but the angel comes to Joseph and says, no, 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 it's all good. That's where Marie got us to. Okay. It's all good. Oh, all right. And like whenever God tells us it's all good, we stop worrying. No more anxiety, right? Right. Okay. Good. Okay. Now can we go to Bethlehem? Yes. All right. Let's get to Bethlehem. So when we get to Bethlehem, what happens? There is no room at the inn. Okay, there's no room at the end, so what happens? Don't forget the wise men. No wise men yet. That's okay, they're coming. They are on their way. They're searching the skies. The innkeeper gives them the stable to stay at. All right, the innkeeper gives them the stable to stay at, and then what happens? Jesus is born. Star lights up, angels, shepherds, angels, shepherds, sheep, sheep. And, and, and Leo corrected me many years ago when I came. Do you remember this, Leo? Here's a story of our church. I came from Los Angeles. I did not realize sheep was plural, so I said sheeps. And Leo said... Very graciously took me aside and says, You're an idiot. It's sheep. It's not sheeps. I, I've learned stuff about a, angry heifers while being here, all sorts of stuff. 
that I had no idea existed when I lived in, in Los Angeles. So I still didn't get it right. Uh, it's Sheps. That's right. That's right. I'm like, Sheps. And he's like, no, sheep. Okay, good. So, so in this barn, in this, in this stable, we got Sheps. We have, we have, we have uh, our sheep. We have uh, cows. We have donkeys. We have camels. Manger, thank you. Manger, Mary, Joseph, wise men are there. Jesus is there. Drummer boy is there. Why not? Everybody's invited. It's a birth. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's every mother's dream, right? And frankincense and myrrh. Okay. And gold. Frankincense, myrrh, gold. Anything else? Is that good? We, we feel good about this Christmas story? There's probably some food. Okay. All right, we're all, we're all good. Okay, and it's all silent night, right? And Jesus is not crying and, and all that. Okay. All right. We know the story. Let me propose to you that we know the story, but we, we don't really know the story. Even though the story that we just told, we've all heard, we've, we've, we've all told, uh, only partially of that, only partial parts of that story, maybe the skeletons of that story is actually found in the birth account in Matthew and Luke, okay? And I want to propose to you, even though that's a cool story and I, I like the story, I want to propose to you that the real story is even cooler. That the, that the story that, that the Bible tells is pretty amazing. And I want to take you through that story today. You know the story, but we just have forgotten the story in a lot of ways. So, Mary, her town, Mary's town is the town of Nazareth. Okay, now, the word Nazareth in, in Hebrew is Natsera. And you know what that means? That means that uh, they're, they're, it's a lookout. It's an ancient lookout on an outpost, watching and waiting, as, as, as Katie was talking about. Now, while it is true that there was a census, uh, and it was called, in the, in the census, it was only required that Joseph goes to the census, okay? Now, how in, in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 16 says that Mary was obviously pregnant, okay? That's, that's what the text says. When is a woman roughly obviously pregnant? Okay, five months okay? All right. All right. Just want to, if this is the Sea of Galilee, I just want to give you a little. Uh, here's Nazareth. 
Here's Mary. I just drew a little baby bump on there. Okay. I'm not a graphic artist in the traditional sense. Uh, give me a break here. Uh, okay. So Mary is obviously pregnant, but we usually think, in the story, we're thinking how many months pregnant is she? Nine and a half, right? Okay. Very good. Okay. Now, in the census, it's only required, only the male, you, only the male has to go to his hometown. They're not even married yet. Okay. Now, now fathers, help me out here. Imagine going to your nine-month pregnant wife and saying, I got to go to the DMV. The DMV is 75 miles away, and we're going to have to walk. This is Jerusalem, then five miles more is to Bethlehem. I know that you're nine months pregnant. And I know you don't have to go, and it's just, I just got to go fill out some forms and everything, but I'm a, statistic, a sadistic mean guy, and I want you to walk 75 miles. There's no donkey in the biblical account, even though that wouldn't be great either for a pregnant woman or anybody. I want you to walk 70, they're very poor. I want you to walk 75 miles to Bethlehem. I'm going to sign a form and everything, and then we're going to hoof it back in time for dinner. 150 miles. Where's Nicole? Is Nicole in here? Nicole, what do you think of this idea? You're nine months-ish pregnant? Almost. Would you want to walk? No. This sounds like a horrible idea, a terrible idea. Okay, so there's, there's the first thing in our story that, that there's something going on there. And so they have to go there. So how long were they? We know she went though, right? Okay, we do know that. The, the Bible is very clear that she was in Bethlehem. Okay, so, so, so we know that we went... They went. How long were they there for? How long? How long? No, how long were they in Bethlehem? Did a couple of years. See, in our minds in the in the in the story, in the story that we've concocted. A lot of times we think of this nine-month-old pregnant lady being dragged down for some to fill out or witness her husband or husband-to-be to fill out a, a government form and then to hoof it back. But whoops, man, I didn't see that coming. Nine months, walking 75 miles. Why? Who, who would ever thought that would induce labor? They were ancient. They weren't ignorant. Now, what was the situation in Nazareth with Mary being pregnant? 
She was scorned. Now, we don't know this, but let's think about it in, 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 in our context, our relational context. If we were betrothed to get married in a very small town, Nazareth was probably about 200 people. If we were to be betrothed and, and everybody thinks that, that you got pregnant out of wedlock and you're going to have to go to Bethlehem anyway, is it possible that, you know what, they just packed up their stuff and Joseph's like, you know what, I have family in Bethlehem. You're obviously pregnant, probably five months-ish pregnant, maybe six months pregnant, and let's go to Bethlehem. So they go to Bethlehem. There's several of you going like, don't mess with my Christmas story. <laughs> it's better. The biblical account of the Christmas story is better than what we've made, which is always true with God. Okay. We know from the account, looking at Matthew's account and, and Luke's account, that, that uh, when the wise men got there and told Herod about, about um, the birth of the king, and then Herod went out and killed all the children under two years old, and the angel of the Lord told them to move to Egypt at, at that point. We start to see that, you know what, there's a, there's a something larger is, is going on here. This is setting the, the stage of the true Christmas story, the beauty of the Christmas story. So, you know what, they moved probably to Bethlehem, that they probably lived there for at least two years. So, why wasn't there room at the inn? Well, this is where it starts to get really, really interesting. What's another name for Bethlehem? City of David. We'll get there. <laughs> So it's city of David. Okay, who, who is David? King David. So why is Bethlehem called the city of David? Because he was born there, and he actually named it the city of David after himself, uh, after he threw out the Jebusites off uh, in, in a battle, and he proclaimed uh, Bethlehem, his birthplace, as the city of David. Now, Bethlehem... <laughs> also uh, has dual meanings. Bethlehem uh, means is, um, is in, in Hebrew, it means the city of bread. And a lot of unleavened bread there and matzah and all this stuff what, what was made. But it also has a dual meaning that the Arabs would call it Bethlehem, which means the city of meat or blood. Okay, so here you have Bethlehem, and Bethlehem is a very special place. Now, we said that there's shepherds, right, coming from Bethlehem, and, and they were the first ones on the scene. 
These were very, very special shepherds. These were the shepherds that actually raised the lambs that were without blemish for the temple sacrifices, okay? Now, I just want you to remember that, and we'll get back to that. So let's get back to the end. So if what's going on in this, uh, in this situation, why is there no room in the inn? Well, this, is, this word, this uh, word in Greek is katlima. And in every other instance in the Bible, it is translated as house or room. And for some reason, in a lot of translations, they've, they've uh, called it an inn, and it's been this reoccurring thing that has made us think Holiday Inn when actually it was probably a home. And since Joseph, this is Joseph's home where he's from, it's probably somebody that he knows. And Bethlehem was a town of about 10,000 people, but during the census, it probably doubled at least to about 22,000 people. Okay, so they probably were in this casa, mi casa, su casa, Joseph and, and Mary are there trying to get themselves established and, and all of that. Now, a first century uh, kalima was usually a one-room home where everybody stayed. It was like a flat before flats were cool, right? Or a loft or something like that, but on the ground. And so think about this. Mary and Joseph being betrothed to, you know, to be married, and she's obviously pregnant. At this point, she's probably about nine months pregnant. They're still trying to get settled in, and they're, they're sitting in, in this one-room uh, kind of apartment, and I can just hear, and I'm, I'm speculating here, but I would imagine that Mary doesn't want to birth her child in front of the whole extended family? I don't know. I don't think so. So where is she to go? Now, this is where it gets really interesting that our, uh, our adoption of, of the winter solstices, our Christmas, uh, uh, has messed us up quite a bit because we think Jesus was born on December 25th. But most historians, in fact, I'd say probably all credible historians know that Jesus wasn't born on December 25th. That, that he was actually born probably, in, in my, my best estimation and what I have read, is probably uh, during the festival of um, Sukkot. Now, the festival of Sukkot uh, is a festival that the Jews did every, every year, and it was to uh, 
to remember their 40 years in the wilderness. Now, in their 40 years in the wilderness, and every year, and they do it to this day, to, uh, they would have to live in temporary shelters, even the animals. And every year, and you can, you, uh, in late September and early October, all, all around the world, Jews build what is called a sukkah. Not like a sukkah, but sukkah, all right? Now, this is what we traditionally think about as kind of a manger scene, is a sukkah. And what would happen is during this time that they would, they would build these extra ones connected to the house and things like that in order to be able to house extra people or to house their animals. So, imagine this, this possibility that, that Mary's faced with the option of birth, having birth in the, in the Kalima with everybody looking. Maybe Joseph says, you know what? I'm going to clear out in the, in the sukkah. I'll clear out all the animals. I will make it really, really clean and we'll have a little privacy and we'll be able to, you be able to birth your son. Now, I've never had a child, but I would think that that would be preferable over the audience. Women? Okay, you would pick, you would pick, the, you would pick the privacy, right? Okay. All right. Good. So, now, this is where it gets really, really interesting. During the temple, during the time of uh, Sukkot, that this was the time that the priests in Jerusalem, which is five miles away from Bethlehem, that they, this was their annual uh, get new underwear festival. Yeah, it's everybody, yeah. And the priests, the priests would take all their undergarments and distribute them to the poor in order, and, and traditionally that, that uh, some of the more worn priestly garments were cut into strips and used to wrap newborn babies. And we know that, that Mary and Joseph were poor because we know when they went to the, the temple uh, when Jesus was, was born to give their sacrifice, basically a middle-class family would usually give a lamb or a goat, but really poor families would give two doves. And that's what Joseph uh, offered as a sacrifice. So, we have... We have Jesus here, and then we have in the picture of the birth that he is wrapped in strips of cloth, some translate say, or some say uh, snugly. And, and what they would do is wrap baby in the ancient uh, 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 near or far east style where they would actually wrap their legs 
together and they'd wrap their arms together, kind of like a baby burrito. So they wouldn't hurt themselves and they would be warm and they would be kept together. But it also commemorates also uh, their birth and, and uh, commemorates their death. And what they would do is uh, they would recite the Shema to them as they uh, wrap them. Now, what's the Shema? The Shema is love God. Part of the Shema is love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that there is only one God. And you have this picture of, of Jesus in his birth being wrapped in priestly garments, being told that there is only one God and to, to bring glory to God with all heart, mind, and soul. So, so David was a, what was David, King David's profession before he slayed Goliath and all that? He was a shepherd. He was a shepherd where? Where? Bethlehem. So, and so we know that David was one of these very special shepherds to raise these lambs in, in a, uh, an unblemished lamb that they were specifically uh, raised to go to slaughter. And this is an echo of Exodus, of the Exodus story, that this, uh, this, uh, this substitution the supplementary uh, offering to God to cover uh, sins. So, let's go. And during the time this happened, this happened during Passover time. Now, this lamb, uh, these lambs were, each family would get a lamb. That this was a very big time. So, you got to figure that, that, uh, Jerusalem would explode to about 20,000, maybe 150, or excuse me, 150 to 200,000 people, Bethlehem, all the surrounding areas during Passover time. So we're talking about a lot of lambs that needed to be raised. And what would happen uh, is that you would get to Jerusalem if you were a Jewish family, and you would get there about two weeks early, okay? And why would you get to Jerusalem two weeks before Passover? Well, number one is you get your lamb because uh, it would be very impractical, say that you were in Nazareth, to go the 75 miles with, with your lamb because the lamb had to be without blemish, that a lamb uh, for the Passover offering couldn't have any broken bones. It's the only offering uh, in all the Jewish sacrifices that can't have any broken bones. So what they would do is they would, people would come from all over the known world and they would go to Bethlehem to get their lamb. And once they got their lamb, it was required by Jewish law that they lived with their lamb for four days. They would do this, and this was the inspection period. And not only live with their lamb, their lamb wasn't outside. Their lamb would actually live with the family. They would get to know their lamb. They would inspect their lamb. They would probably sing to their lamb. 
And if you ever, you know, got a puppy or something like that, you know, that you can imagine how, how, how much, you know, four days that you would get attached to that lamb, right? Or that puppy or, you know, in their case, into a lamb. And it's a very interesting thing that would happen during Passover. The, the Sabbath before Passover, there was a, uh, the, the day after Sabbath before Passover, there was a procession that would come into Jerusalem. We call that, Christians call that Sunday before Passover, before Easter, what? Palm Sunday. And they would call this the procession of the lambs. And this is in the triumphant entry that, that Jesus is coming in in the, uh, with, in the progression of the lambs. And what would happen is the priests would stand there and they would look at all of the lambs coming in. And they would pick one lamb and they would identify it as the Pascal lamb. And this is the lamb that, that would represent all of Israel. And it would be the last lamb that would be sacrificed on Passover. And what would happen is on Passover, it would, the temple would open at 9 a.m. And, and people would come in with their lambs. And the patriarch of the, of the family would come in with his lamb on his shoulders and, and he would go to the priest and the priest would ask him a question. He would look at the patriarch and he'd say, do you love your lamb? And the father would have to, or the patriarch would, would, would have to respond, yes, we love our lamb. And either the priest would accept that sacrifice and they were good for another year, or the priest would say, I don't believe you. Go away. Go to the back of the line. And he came back a second time, and this happens every single year uh, in the ancient world, He'd come and the priest would ask him one more time, do you love your lamb? Yes. Yes, rabbi. Yes, priest. We love our lamb. And either they would accept that or reject it. If they rejected it, there was a third and final chance. And if they didn't re receive it, uh, the third time that they were ostracized, that their sins were not forgiven or covered for that year. You walk up, this is your third time, do you love your lamb? Yes. Our family loves this lamb. We have lived with this lamb, that we cherish this lamb. And only then would they accept the lamb, when they truly believed that they loved their lamb, because an offering costs nothing is meaningless. When Jesus, in his Passover and his triumphant entry, came into Jerusalem, 
that his crucifixion started at 9 a.m. And we are told in the account by Mark that it lasted till 3 p.m., the exact same time as the priests would do the the, uh, sacrifices. And every year leading up to Jesus' death, they would do the sacrifices all day long, and that at 3 o'clock they would bring out the Paschal Lamb. And they would hold up this Paschal Lamb, and they would uh, cast their sins as a nation, as a people on it. And then they would sacrifice that lamb. And at that point, when the lamb was sacrificed at 3 o'clock, the priest would close Passover and say, it is finished. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he started being crucified at 9 a.m. and at 3 o'clock, right after probably the priest had pronounced what he thought was the Paschal Lamb, the last words that Jesus says is a song of Psalms from King David. In Psalm 22, when Jesus' final breath, he exhales, saying, It is finished. Later, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. And he goes up to the Sea of Galilee where, where Peter had gone back to what he had always known. When you lose faith, that's what you always do. You go back to what you always know. The Bible calls that like a dog going back to its vomit. And we all do it. Jesus comes and calls Peter And he asks them a question. Peter, do you love me? What's Peter say? Yeah. Doesn't convince Jesus. The priests of priests, the Lord of lords. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, I do. I really love you, Lord. No. Gives him one last shot, just like the priests do in Passover. Peter, do you love me? And at this point, Peter pours out his heart and his soul to Jesus. Says, Jesus, you know, you are my everything. You are my Paschal. You are my Lord. You are the prophesied Messiah, and I will follow you. And that is the Christmas story. That 
God loved us so much that he sent his son to be the Paschal lamb for the express purposes of being slain to cover our sins. In this Christmas, perhaps the greatest gift that we can receive is the gift of recognizing Jesus for who he truly is and what he has truly done for us. And for us to come back when Jesus asked, do you love me? Don't wait for a second or third time, but on the first time we say, yes, Lord. You know we do. We love you with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. You guys stand with me and I'm going to close in prayer.